For Truth with a Texas Twang, Fireside Talk Radio, the show where women ponder the things we store in our hearts. Host Kathy Carafi invites experts to talk openly about what women care about, like how to create lifelong companionship, dealing with mental illness in our families, bullying at school, and many others. You name it, we talk about it. Listen in now as Kathy helps us find answers to our most tender questions. Welcome to Camp Crafty's Fireside Talk Radio, where our goal is to ponder over all the tried and true stuff we women store away in our hearts as we knit our families together in lifelong fellowship. Our favorite verse on this show is, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Luke 2.19. We want to thank Home Instead, our sponsor for this episode. Home Instead Senior Care provides trustworthy, kind-hearted senior home care services in your loved one's home. All caregivers are thoroughly screened, extensively trained, professional, and reliable. At Home Instead, it's about providing providing the highest quality home care services to fit you and your family's needs. Now, I am so excited to invite you into this program today, and I have a very special guest today. Her name is Hinda Salmarone. Hinda, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. I am honored. Thank you for having me. Well, I just want to begin by giving my listening friends a little bit of your background, and I should warn them. I read your book, Hinda, and now I know what a global, international kind of gal you are. And so I want to begin by telling people, even though Hinda is this amazing powerhouse, she is also down to earth and one of us. So I'm going to read a little bit about her background, but then we're going to open it up and she's going to tell her story. And I think you're going to love her like I do. Hinda Salmaron arrived from South Africa on American soil in 1990 with two suitcases, less than $600 in her pocket, a fine bottle of 1966 Portuguese port, a work visa, and the American dream. Since then, she has become a United States citizen, a mother, an award-winning real estate broker, an accomplished investor, serial entrepreneur, which we really relate to at my house, a published author, an ultra-endurance race global competitor, which I cannot even imagine, a breast cancer survivor who served on the board of Susan G. Komen in Dallas, and an accidental power lobbyist who passed one of the most important and influential health healthcare bills in the nation in 2011, known as Hinda's Law, Texas HB 2102. That's just one paragraph of your biography. So, and, and I love the one in your book, really, because it tells more of the story of how your challenges in life really drove you to become this amazing, great woman. And that's what I like to focus on the show, because we, we all have sacred stories things that happen to us that are so tender and heartbreaking and wrenching that we wonder at the time if we'll survive them. So I wanted you to begin, Henda, by telling us, because mental health is sometimes a topic for this show. We've had a lot of really great people on the show to talk about that. Colleen Long came on recently, talked about uh, depression and anxiety, and Marcy and Doug McSwain both talked about suicide of a family member. So start a in the beginning, a little bit about your mother and her mental health issues so that people can get a feeling for what an amazing childhood and what a survivor you are. 
Well, not to speak ill of, of, of the dead, but my mother was one of those people that probably should never have had children. Just because you can have a child doesn't necessarily mean you should. And um, since I was very little, she, um, I was more her mother than the other way around. The earliest memory I have of her is um, when she gave me away when I was three years old. Mm. And the cover of my book is actually me dressed in a purple dress, the beautiful royal purple, um, the color of Lent and Mardi Gras and royalty. And however, for me, it was the color that held the deepest pain because she wore that color the day she gave me away when I was three, mm. and it was my earliest memory. And for, you know, most of my childhood, I, ra I raised myself. I started working at a very young age to put myself through high school. And, um, you know, the early years were just a battle. But unbeknownst to me, it laid the foundation for when I needed it most. So I like to think that um, I no longer wish any part of my childhood to be different because it has fundamentally made me the person I am. I think I think it's amazing, and I, I loved your book, by the way. I just ordered it and read it in preparation for this conversation, and her book is called Grit Under My Nails. Am I saying that correctly? Yep, Grit, Grit Under, Under My, nails. My Nails, a memoir in three acts, and it is such a fast read. You cannot make this stuff up. I mean, you had to live through it to be able to talk about it like you do in your book, like a uh, Fiction writers are very creative, but they can't create this kind of truth. So, I mean, they do it all the time, I guess. But in your case, it's a beautiful read, uh, such a such a dynamic story. And I love the fact that you're so open and honest about what you experienced. One of my favorite parts of the book, because I think all women can relate to this, especially women who've been traumatized in any way. You had this wonderful story in the book about your scissors in the middle of the night. Do you want to just share that with my readers in case somebody is struggling with that kind of memory themselves? Well, so in addition to not being a very good mother, my um, mother also had a lot of men in her life. And she ended up, um, she had six children and she gave all of us away. And, you know, it was just a sorry sight. However, um, when I was a young teenager, she married a man. And although I was growing up in boarding school um, in South Africa, there were some weekends that I had to go home. And when I was 14, 15 years old, he started paying attention to me as a young woman. And to the point where I was afraid that he would rape me. And mm. I, every time I was at that house, I went to bed with scissors. And I swear I would have used it. I have no doubt if he ever came near me, I would not have hesitated. And it became kind of a symbol that it took me 47 years to let go of those scissors. Because although mm. I didn't touch them anymore at night, Symbolically, they always were part of me in, you know, as a, in fight mode, so to speak. Yes. So um, writing this book actually was the best thing that ever happened to me. It took three years. Mm. And um, it fundamentally put my therapist out of business. Because when you can tell people yes. about your deepest secrets, we remove the shame that comes with that. And being abandoned, being abused, being neglected... 
the biggest thing that that imprints on us is feeling not worthy and ashamed. Well, I just, I I love the way you're sharing that. The the truth is about freedom and I have seen it over and over again. I often reference the fact that I've had an abortion. I've talked about it publicly now. And because of that experience of of telling the truth about that, I know how much freedom comes when we share them. I consider those sacred stories and I hear them all the time. Women share stories with me all the time that they don't want to share in public, but they do want to share them. And I know you probably have this experience, too, because once you open up about your own life, people want to tell you their stories. Well, and it was interesting. Um, my editor, we were about a year into me writing the story, and I couldn't go back to those early years. It was too painful. Oh. She, she said to me one day, she's like, you know, people can sense that you're not letting them in. You have yeah. to tell that story. And one night in January of 2016, I spent 17 hours in front of my computer. And probably about midnight, I started being able to go there. And I wrote the story of that night I thought he was going to rape me. And it was like the dam broke. And, and I couldn't yes. stop writing. And it yes. was so freeing. And I was so relieved to finally just put it on paper, to just tell it. I'm so glad you did. I think people are going to want to get your book, and they can get it on Amazon.com because that's where I found it. I I read all the time. I I just with the work I do, I have to read. I probably have 15 books started and not finished, sitting around my my you know my bed, my desk, my den, and on my iPad everywhere you look. I've got a half read book. But I cannot quit reading yours. In fact, I had to make myself quit reading after the first act because. What you what you wrote was so authentic, and your voice. Of course, I'm a writer myself, so I know finding your voice and putting on on paper is a real act of intimacy and authenticity and tenderness. It's it's really scary to do that, and you did it so well. I just want to thank you for that. I felt that I'm I feel like I'm your best friend now because I read your book. <laughs> And you know, it's interesting, um, men love my book too. It's not just, I mean, obviously women, it resonates with women. But yeah. it's surprising how many men have come to me and said, wow, I've loved reading it. And, that, and my kids, oh my gosh. My oh. son, he's, he's at A&M, he's a, in his second year. He wrote it over during summer camp. And afterwards he came to me and he's like, mom, I never knew what, who, I, I just never knew so much about you. And it was so amazing reading your story. So, of course, I started crying on that one. Well, um, uh, we have about two minutes to the break. I know what you mean. I'm surprised how many men tune in to women's issues because I thought I would be speaking only to women. And I've had all these men be on the show and many others talk to me and tell me they love listening to my podcast. So that surprises me, too. But I think I think we're not giving men enough credit, and I'm not surprised your book is resonating. So we have about a minute, and I think when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about dense breast tissue, B-R-E-A-S-T, breast, like boobs. That's what we're going to be talking about a little bit, because I want to catch that part of your story, too. And so is there anything you want to share in about 20 seconds or less? Well, dense breast tissue, before I knew what it meant, um, I thought dense meant stupid. And uh. lo and behold, came to, to learn that that's, there's more to the word um, dense than I could ever have imagined. 
We're going to go to the break, and so hold that thought. We're going to be talking about what it means to be dense. In this case, thick and unable, impenetrable, so that people cannot see tumors in your breast. So she's going to give us a bunch of good information about this. We're talking to Hinda Salmarone, and we'll be right back with more Truth with a Texas Twang when we return. Don't leave. We don't want to miss a moment at Fireside Talk Radio, so stay tuned for more adventures as we talk about the things women store and ponder in their hearts. More Truth with a Texas Twang when we return. Y'all to see my blue-eyed Sally. She lives way down on Shimbone Alley. The number on the gate and the number on the door in the next house over is a grocery store. I knew Mom wanted to stay at home. It's the center of her family, her life. But helping Mom stay in her home while managing mine was just too much. Honestly, it wasn't just about me. Mom didn't want me to be her caretaker. She wanted me to be her daughter. I felt so alone until I found out about Home Instead Senior Care. When we met the people at Home Instead, we just knew they were different. The experience was personal. They understood how we were all feeling. They just cared. Because of Home Instead Senior Care, Mom now has a caregiver who can help her stay home. But more importantly, they've made an incredible connection I never expected. And Home Instead changed my life, too. I've found balance again, and most importantly, for Mom and me, I get to be her daughter again. Home Instead Senior Care. To us, it's personal. My parents are getting older, and I want to be there to help. But sometimes I spend more time taking care of them than my own family. It's starting to put pressure on my marriage, and I feel like I'm ignoring my kids. My parents need help. I need help. My mom wants to stay at home, but she honestly can't handle it on her own anymore. I've been taking care of her, but I just want to be her daughter again. I know mom feels the same way. I'm not sure where to turn. If you're struggling to care for your parents, you're not alone. Home Instead Senior Care can help. With personalized service and a personal touch, our caregivers will help your parents stay in the place they call home. Home Instead Senior Care. To us, it's personal. We want to thank our generous sponsors for making these candid conversations possible at Fireside Talk Radio, where we talk openly about the things women store and ponder in their hearts, where truth and Texas twang meet. Hey, welcome back. We're talking to Hinda Selmarone about all kinds of things in her childhood, and now we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to have dense breast tissue. Henda, one of the things in your book that you mentioned, this is a little off track, but you'll see where I'm going with it. You pack exactly opposite of I, the way I do. I call my motto about packing a suitcase, well, that, you know, there's a Walmart there, so I don't have to take it with me. I could just buy it when I get there. So I try to, to pack only one pack sack or maybe one small pull-on that fits under the seat. You, on the other hand, have a different motto. Yours is the, you call it the JIC method of, of packing just in case. 
And I, I was know, sad. I loved it. I thought it was so hilarious. I mean, it just made me want to be your friend. But um, one thing that is, but I, I felt like a peeping Tom almost. I'm looking into your personal life, reading your story. You were so beautiful in the way you shared much of your most personal per, uh, perspective and ideas and insecurities in the book. It was just beautiful, really. It, it made me love you. But the just-in-case packing technique, I think, is so funny. And and I, I thought that is such a great analogy for the way you're really living this part of your life where God has just filled your pack sack with tools. So talk to me a little bit about the next stage of your life where you are diagnosed with breast cancer and the shock that that creates in your inner person. Well, you know, the statistics we reminded of it's every day, one in eight or maybe one in seven even women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. I never knew or thought that I would draw that card. And so as a 42-year-old, the last thing I wanted to hear having an eight and a 10 year old kids was that I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It, it was the most shocking unplanned event that just dropped on my lap, like the present I didn't want. And I would never forget how scared I was. It mm. left me paralyzed with just my inability. You know, I always have been able to overcome so much. And when you yes. hear you have cancer, it just quiets you and, and you become just really afraid. Mm. You know, I did a show with Susan Ellsworth who talked about having a double mastectomy reconstruction. Then she found out she had lymphedema, which she diagnosed herself because she's an oncology nurse. And then uh, she just finished her second. So they took everything off and then they just finished her second reconstruction. So if you missed those episodes and you're listening in, I hope you'll look for those and also the ones we did with Sasha Vakea, who talked to us about how to talk to your daughters because it's, you know, sometimes genetic. When you say two out, I mean, one out of seven, I'm really surprised the numbers are that low. I know so many women who've had breast cancer that I go, when people compliment my hair, you know what I say now? Thank you. I'm just so glad to have, at my age, knowing as many people as I do that are breast cancer survivors, I'm just glad to have my boobs in my hair. <laughs> Any hair. I don't even, you know. I know. Yep, yep. I love, we need to love our girls. We, we need to take good care of them. And um, mine, I never had reconstruction because, quite honestly, I love my scars. It, it is yeah. ultimately the medal of survival and overcoming mm-hmm. to me that means the most to me when I see it every day. It just reminds me to, to embrace today and love every moment we are alive. Mm, I love that. I've had friends show me their breast or their chest without their breast too. And it's beautiful. The skin heals and is so healthy looking. And I think there's so much joy in that moment and that realization that you're alive. Well, in your case, you ended up basically, I mean, I, I love that you shared this in the book about how I don't even have words for the anxiety and, and then you had a heart attack in the midst of all that was going on. And you were, you were like face to face with death and you had these babies that you just adore. So tell us a little bit about what you did. Cause I think in the end people will see what a champion you are. I just don't want to miss a chance for people to hear how you coped with such a depressing anxiety laden 
diagnosis and experience. You had not only breast cancer, but a heart attack as well. Well, so 2009 was definitely not my finest year. The year started out with me being severely depressed, um, very unhappily um, in a relationship, mm-hmm. fat. But honestly, I was very not, not thin, not fit, overworked. Then I got diagnosed with breast cancer. 54 days, I had a heart attack, and mm. that was not because of blockage. I ended up with a viral infection of my heart called pericarditis, and it, was, it happened in um, Arequipa, Peru. So I literally was lying in a 1950s hospital thinking I was going to, you know, not, not walk out. Mm. And then I went through cardiac rehab and radiation. So by the end of 2009, I, was, I had post-traumatic stress. I had severe anxiety. And I learned what fear stood for. Um, those four words um, gripped me. And, and I learned that it means false evidence appearing real. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to cope. I, I didn't know how to overcome this fear of, of death. And so um, in, I came up at the end of 09 with this thought, okay, let me do something so bad and wild and crazy <laughs> that, that it literally would shock me back to life. I and, love and I've that. I've never been a runner. I've never been a runner, never run a, a 5K or anything. And I registered for a ultra extreme endurance race in India for it was a hundred miles over five days in the Himalayas. Unbelievable. You are so brave or crazy. I'm not sure which. I was crazy. No, 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 no. I was utterly crazy. No doubt there. Um, I love it. However, I wired my money. It cost, you know, $2,000 and I had to get an air ticket but I started training and ended up going to India that um, September in 2010. And, and I finished this unbelievable race. I saw the sunrise over Mount Everest. And I was um, not even the last runner. And it changed my entire philosophy about the impossible. You don't have to be fast. You don't even have to be good. You just need to show up and just Go do it. Go do something you think is crazy. And when you succeed, then you start realizing, you know, nothing is impossible. It's the limits we place on ourselves and our minds that hold us back. I love that. I'm going to read a couple of quotes from your book that I pulled. One of them I think all women can relate to. And it had to do with how you felt before you came up with this new idea for making yourself have a reason to live, shocking yourself. So she says this, I felt like a pre-programmed robot each morning, shower, dress, feed the kids, do the laundry, show houses, sell houses, shop for groceries, smile, smile, and smile. Parentheses, yelling, shouting, and screaming were not algorithms allowed in the code. I think all women can relate to that. And I love it that you just decided to branch out and try something totally new. Then it, it, it challenged you to the limits of your physical strength. And in the process of exercising each day, beginning to train, you wrote this. I love this, by the way, Hinda. I learned to be patiently alone with my thoughts, all of them. After about three months and lots of miles together, we became somewhat friends, not close friends, more like neighbors dropping off cookies or a pie during the holidays. I was still mad at them for 
disintegrating to where I had to go run 100 miles in India to restore our togetherness. But we were making progress. Boy, that is so powerful. And that's why I run these races, because when you are with yourself for 150 miles, for seven days alone, you become, you, you, we have to learn to become our own best friend. We love, mm-hmm. first have to love ourselves before we can allow anybody else to love us. And, and that was the biggest lesson I learned on this journey is, is how to accept myself and like myself. I love myself. I love the way you wrote about it. And I love the fact that you expose so much of your, your most personal insecurities and fears and, and hardships, because I think as women, sometimes we look at other people's lives and we think everybody else is perfect, but we're the loser in the mix, you know, but, but I know that's not true. I mean, that's one of the things I love about turning 50 and now I'm about to be 60, but there is a moment in a woman's life where we kind of get comfortable in our own skin. And honestly, we don't care now what people think about us and it frees us so much to just be who we are and really be effective in the way God intends for us to be. And that is my transition to say, I don't want my listeners to miss a chance to hear what you have accomplished because I'm getting the letter in the mail because our state legislator, Pat legislatures, I can't say it. Our state legislators passed the Hinda law. So tell us a little bit about what happened next. So part of my diagnosis um, involves the fact that a four centimeter tumor was entirely missed in my breast. And when I found, you know, when I asked, okay, how did I end up with a later stage diagnosis with a tumor that was invisible on a mammogram, 100% invisible? And it was, I learned uh, that I had. And five, four centimeters is the size of a golf ball. Right, right. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not a big breasted woman. And for you to miss four centimeters, I, it just made no logical sense. And that's when I learned I had very dense breasts and that 40% of tumors can be missed. And when I asked how come I was never told, that's when I learned that it wasn't the standard of care. And I was so angry. I was so angry that, you know, somebody's lack of care is, might cost me my life. And I swore that I would change the standard of care. Um, and that's, that's what, what the Hindus law did. It changed the standard of care in Texas to where all women have to be informed about dense breast tissue and the limitations of a mammogram. Well, we're going to we're going to pick that up at the next episode. And we have about a minute left on this show. So I just want to give you that full 30 seconds, which is not much time to summarize anything that you wish women knew. Any woman or her husband that's listening now, what would you say to them quickly? I just think we need to become advocates for ourselves and not depend Mm. on other people to take care of us. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Hinda, you're just an amazing woman, and I'm so grateful for your story. You can find her website, Hinda Salamara. It's actually, it's, it's just easier to go to hindaflaw.com. Perfect. Thank you. And uh, join us again, and don't miss her other episode, folks. Thank you for joining us today, where we speak truth with a Texas twang about the very things that touch our hearts. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you again next week.